Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Good morning. This week was a, uh, was a special week here at Maranatha, wasn't it? Uh, a great life in, uh, in the week of the church. It was, uh, it was VBS week. And, and I've never seen a church come together with such unity and enthusiasm uh, for VBS as I see here at Maranatha. And it's wonderful, isn't it? Um, I've got some pictures that I want to show um, of the week. Um, as Pastor Lloyd mentioned, we had uh, over 75 students here during the week and between 25 and 30 helpers, leaders, volunteers involved in, in VBS during this week. And leaders and volunteers, again, we could not do what we have done uh, without you. Uh, we, had, uh, we had small group leaders. Here are some of the pictures here. Um, of the kids and the team. Uh, we had small group leaders, and, and these small group leaders uh, thanklessly shepherded the, uh, the little flock of loud and energetic kids, keeping them in line, keeping them focused on, on the lesson or the task at hand, leading them from station to station. Our, our small group leaders uh, often got tied up with, uh, with jump ropes or, or became a target for soaking wet sponges during a game of uh, dodge sponge during the week. So small group leaders, thank you for your willingness to do that. Uh, there were so many leaders and helpers at, at all the various um, stages and, uh, and various stations of VBS. And uh, there, there are some more of our small group leaders there too, right? Um, Dodge sponge going on there. And uh, it's not quite clicking through, Luke, so if you just want to start clicking through some of these here. Um, the kitchen crew, right? You, you kept us all fed, all nourished, all hydrated during the week, making crumbly cupcakes and innumerable little spider legs for the kids to eat, right? Thanklessly cleaning up after each group. Uh, the kids tied 35 blankets, by the way, for Project Ignite Light, and those are what's out in the uh, narthex as you, as you leave. Yeah, but they couldn't have done it without a great group of, of helpers who organized the fabric, cutting the blankets uh, so that those little fingers could do the tying. And each day, uh, we had more than half a dozen volunteers leading the kids in arts and crafts. And these weren't just the, the beaded bracelets that I grew up <laughs> doing at VBS. These were crafts that, that left the kids hungering and wanting to do more. Uh, we played games outside in the hot and humid weather at the beginning of the week and then in the hazy smokiness of the Canadian fires later on in the week. Uh, there were those who volunteered at the registration table, making sure we had the right names with the right kids and getting them in the right group with the right leaders. Also, we could return them at the end of the day to the right parents. <laughs> There were those who worked behind the scenes, too, preparing decorations, doing the decorating, making bones out of flour, hiding dinosaurs and necklaces and little toy cars in, in rocks of sand, and, and, probably, <clears throat> excuse me, and probably a gazillion other things that I don't even know about, that nobody else recognized. Thank you for your hard work. 
We, as mentioned, we had the Zion summer team here from our Free Lutheran Bible College. Brett and Kyle and Maggie, they did an outstanding job of leading the kids in the openings and the closings, teaching the lessons, connecting with many of our kids and our junior and senior high students as well. Uh, but there is one volunteer, too, that I, that I want to mention from Maranatha. I want to mention her by name, and that's Jill, right? Uh, she served as director this year, taking the bulk of the organizing, the planning upon herself. So, Jill, thank you very much for all that you did during this week. <laughs> Vacation Bible School is hard work, but I do believe that it is worth, worth the effort. Uh, we don't know the seeds that were being planted in the little hearts and the little lives of, of those precious eternal human souls. And now, please don't forget to pray for that seed that has been sown, right? There's a lot more to do for that seed, isn't there? As our farmers well know, you don't just plant the seed and, and walk away. No, there, there's some tending, some nurturing that goes on there, right? Some harvesting. And in the same way, we need to pray for the seed of the Word of God that's been planted in these kids, that it would bear fruit and grow greatly in their lives. And what we're doing at events like Vacation Bible School and Beyond Fly is planting, and we're planting sequoias, right? <laughs> the growth will be slow, often hard to see, but the results, I think, will be well worth it. The theme for VBS this year was Destination Dig. And our kids uh, spent the week uncovering the truths of God's word. Throughout the week, we learned that Jesus came as God had promised, that he demonstrated God's power, that he was betrayed and rejected, that he died and rose again, and that the Bible is true. Kids dug into passages like Matthew chapter 1, John chapter 9, uh, John 18, 19, 20, Acts chapter 8, all of those passages and, and more. And in addition to that, each day uh, they looked at real, actual archaeological evidence for the truths of the Bible uh, as places and names and pottery were unearthed. Uh, by archaeologists. They, they discovered that there is evidence, again, real, physical, actual proof that the Bible and the things of the Bible are true. And the theme verse for the week went well with this theme of digging in to God's word, uncovering God and, and his truth. And the theme was taken from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, which said, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there to Jeremiah 29. That's where we'll be this morning. And this is a, a familiar-ish passage for many of us, right? And one verse from this chapter in particular gets quoted and shared very frequently, uh, especially during high school graduations or, or other times of significant change, and, and rightly so. It has wonderful promises for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And you can fill in the rest of it probably in your minds. Uh, but that verse speaks to so many more than just high school and college grads. And I want to <coughs> dig deep and uncover the truths of this passage and the context that surrounds it. 
Uh, but before we get into uh, this wonderful promise of, of Jeremiah 29, 11, and 13, we need to back up and to set the stage a little bit for this chapter. In the opening verses of this chapter, there's an important truth that we need to recognize, and it's this. Sometimes the Lord God tells you things that you do not want to hear. <laughs> Sometimes God tells you things that you don't want to hear. Um, let's read some of these verses here. Would you stand out of reverence for God's word? I'll read Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 1, and then we'll skip down to verse 4 and read on a little bit. Reading in Jesus' name. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of, of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then jump down to verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you shall find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your prophet Jeremiah and his uh, ministry to the people, ministry to the exiles, Lord, and he had a very, very difficult, hard life and ministry, Lord, but you still used him mightily, Lord. Thank you for this word and this word of, uh, of promise that we'll get into here in Jeremiah 29. We ask that you would uh, lead us and guide us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The letter that Jeremiah wrote and the, the context of the promises of the Lord for, for welfare and hope were written to a people in exile. And to place this in some historical context, Jeremiah lived and served as a prophet before, during, and after the decline of Judah. Jeremiah lived through Babylon conquering Jerusalem, capturing her leaders, exiling her citizens. And I know that some of this history that we might get into here might be uh, boring for us, but I think it's good to review and to set it in its place. Uh, if we don't, it would be kind of like looking at pictures of, of 2020 and 2021, seeing people in masks without really understanding what happened in COVID-19, right? Um, in 612, in 612, Assyria, who had been the dominant world power for centuries, was defeated by the Babylonian army. And it was a massive shift in the world power and in world dominance. King Nebuchadnezzar, Luke, if you want to go to the next slide here. Here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar, who, who many of us are familiar with from the book of Daniel, uh, became king of Babylon in 605 B.C. And in that year, in, in 605, Nebuchadnezzar began to exile many people, the, the brightest and the best from Jerusalem, and take them to Babylon, including Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Uh, the nation of, of Judah is allowed to continue on, but kind of as a, a puppet government controlled by Babylon. 
And then in 597, Judah tried to rebel out from under the control of Babylon, but the rebellion was quickly quelled and the king was exiled. And according to verse 2 of Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, this letter was sent sometime after the exile of the king and, and the queen mother, probably in 594 B.C. And at this time, 594, the temple hadn't yet been destroyed. That would happen in a few years, in, in 587. And so the exiles are, are in this uncomfortable position of not knowing what is going to happen with their nation. Will they be able to return home soon? Would things get worse? And in this letter to the exiles, the Lord had some bad news for his people. Um, words that they definitely did not want to hear. And the bad news was this. This exile, this difficult time that they were in the middle of enduring, this was not going away quickly. Some of God's prophets were telling his people that, oh no, this will just be a short exile, two years. And uh, Jeremiah said, no, <laughs> that's not what the Lord says. And you can read about that in Jeremiah 27 and 28, this back and forth between the prophets, both of them who were saying they were prophesying in God's name, but only Jeremiah had the Lord's truth, that this was not going away quickly. And because this wasn't going away, the Lord, through Jeremiah, gives some instruction here in his people, to his people on how to live in Babylon during their exile. Uh, first, the Lord tells them to uh, establish roots in Babylon. And in verses 5 and 6, he says this. He says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Since you're not going anywhere, says the Lord, you might as well get comfortable there in Babylon. Don't just rent a, a room or a house. Build something of value. Buy the house you're living in. Invest in your community. There's a, there's a difference between renting and buying, isn't there, right? Renting an apartment or even a house is good when you're, when you're newlyweds and just settling down. But, but once your family grows, having a place of your own is, to put down roots is, is a good thing, isn't it? Liz and I discovered that not too long ago as we became homeowners ourselves. The Lord told his people in exile to plant gardens, right? And you might as well plant blueberries and asparagus because they're going to take a couple of years to begin to, produce, to bring produce. You're going to be here a while. God says, marry off your kids. Go to their t-ball games. Get ready to watch your grandkids grow up here and play t-ball too. Establish roots in Babylon. And then the Lord tells his people to seek the welfare of their new city and to pray for it. In verse 7 he says, Seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you shall find your welfare. Israel and, and Judah were used to praying for the peace of Jerusalem, their city, their nation, their people. But now the Lord asks them to pray for Babylon, their, their enemies, and to work for the welfare, for the good, for the peace, for the, the shalom of Babylon, the enemy. God says, join the PTA. Get involved in the city council. Um, coach your son and your grandson's t-ball teams. Because again, you're going to be here a while. And when Babylon prospers and does well, guess what? 
you're going to prosper and do well also. Establish roots in Babylon. Seek the welfare of Babylon. Pray for the city, city and its leaders. And this text here, these instructions in, in Jeremiah 29 are actually pretty good, pretty instructive for us this morning. These words spoken to God's people over 2,500 years ago offer a, a blueprint and a pattern for us in our lives as we live our lives. These verses help answer the question, how do we live as Christians in a post-Christian society? And there is no doubt about it, right, that you and I are living in a post-Christian society. Uh, Rob Dreyer, a, a Catholic author and theologian, uh, very simply describes a post-Christian society as a, as a culture, as a society that was once Christian and no longer is, right? Uh, a post-Christian culture had heard the gospel, believed in it, became Christians, were, were thoroughly Christians in their thoughts, words, and, and actions, but then stopped being Christians at some point in time. In 1948, when uh, the Gallup organization began tracking this information, 91% of Americans identified themselves as Christians. Nine out of ten. That's, that's an astounding number. Today, uh, the Pew Research uh, Center says that only 65% of Americans will identify as Christians. And, less, and of that 65%, less than half would, would hold to an evangelical, biblical, Bible-believing world view. Nearly 20% of Americans have no religious affiliation at all. And that number, the, the nuns, is predicted to rise significantly in the coming years. But there's more to being a, a post-Christian society than just a staggering decline in, in the numbers of, of Christians in America. Our founding as a nation, built upon Judeo-Christian principles and ethics, is being changed. Our laws, our cultural norms, the, the morality of Christian institutions were at one time all based on Christian thinking. Christian schools, businesses, government offices even widely supported a Christian identity. But that all has changed and is continuing to change, is it not? And I don't think I need to spell out the decline of, of the Christian influence in the United States, the decline of the church, the, the hypersexuality of our culture in, in music, movies, advertising, the abandoning of biblical understandings of male and female, the redefining of marriage away from the biblical norm, the consumerism and materialism and self over the biblical principles, I'm sorry, of self-sacrifice and contentment, like the Apostle Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 4, right? We have an education system that, that pushes a morality opposite from the scriptures. And aside from these, there are even more fundamental questions that, that are being asked by our society and our culture. We have disagreements about what truth is and if truth even exists and, and if man is intrinsically good or not. And no, there, there can be no doubt about it, right? We are living in a post-Christian society. So what can be done? How then shall we live in this post-Christian society? And these verses in Jeremiah help to answer that question, right? We pray for our city, for our state, for our nation. We pray for our leaders. 
And we don't just pray for the presidents and the senators and the representatives that we like. Right? They all need our prayers. That's why every Sunday morning we hear a Maranatha pray for our president, pray for our leaders. They all need our prayers. We seek the welfare of our community, of our city. We get involved. We make an impact. We don't sit idly by. We use our voice to speak up while we still have the freedom to speak up. We vote. We, we vote our conscience. We vote our morals. We vote scripture. We support businesses run by Christians, right? But we also need to get used to the fact that things may get much worse before they get better, if they improve at all. So as we wait for that day, there are a couple of suggestions by uh, author and physician Greg Scandlin. And these come from an article in the, the, the Federalist way back in 2016. And he laid out some, some good principles for living in a post-Christian society. And the first thing is, he says that we must get used to being a minority in a pagan society. Uh, for, for many years, we, we've enjoyed the unusual grace and favor of the Lord, but, but our situation is, is really unique in the world. For a majority of Christian history, Christians have been the minority, right? We, we need to wrap our minds around the reality that we are again becoming a minority. And as a minority in society, there will be consequences for living out our faith. There will be consequences for living out our faith. Uh, you might not get to run in some of the same circles that you do now. You might not get invited to the same parties. You may lose friends and be shamed or ostracized publicly by your family. You could even lose your job. And for many Christians, the cost is even higher yet. Um, Open Doors USA, an organization that tracks these sort of things, uh, says that in 2020, uh, the persecution of Christians was on the rise. Um, let's look at some of these staggering statistics that have been reported. In 2020, there were over 340 million Christians, that's more than the population of the United States, living in places where they are experiencing high levels of Christian persecution. 340 million where they're experiencing these high levels of persecution. Uh, last year, in, in 2020, almost uh, 45,000 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked, were vandalized uh, at some stage or some form. Uh, almost 4,300 4, believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And then this one is, uh, this one is pretty staggering too. 4,761 Christians were killed last year in 2020 for their faith. That's an incredible number, is it not? Almost 4,800 Christians killed for their faith. And yes, the majority of these stats do take place in um, areas like Southeast Asia or places where Islam is the mandated religion. But yet Jesus told us that we would be persecuted for following him. He said in John 15, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. All these things they will do to you on account of my name, Jesus says. And so as we stand for the truth of God's word and in Christian principles and ethics and morals, as we stand for Jesus Christ, we should expect resistance. 
That's part of living out our faith in a minority. And next, uh, we need to remember that the rest of the world, the rest of the world, America included, is living not just a secular lifestyle, but a pagan lifestyle. Uh, the word secular simply means uh, something that doesn't involve religion, right? Paganism is a completely different beast with their own religious norms and their own, their own set of gods as well. Uh, they may not look like the pagan gods of ancient days like uh, Baalzephon or Zeus or Apollo or Aphrodite, but they are still deities that they worship and are willing to sacrifice everything for. Uh, unhindered sexual license abortion on demand, celebrity and fame, political power and influence, tolerance and inclusivity. But each one of these pagan deities are just as empty and hollow and cannot provide fulfillment. We need to be compassionate on those lost in paganism, but be willing to show them and share with them the hope and love of Christ. And next, in, in today's culture, believer, uh, we need now more than ever to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul called, told the Corinthian church that his sole desire was to proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christianity is not, nor has it ever been, a self-help, have-your-best-life-now religion. The message of Christianity has always been about Jesus Christ and his death for sinners, sinners like me, sinners like you. His death on the cross in your place and on your behalf brings about the forgiveness of sin and the cleansing that our souls so desperately need. In him, we find life, meaning, we find purpose. And the world, the pagan society that we are surrounded by, needs to hear this message of Jesus as well. So share it. Share that message of Jesus and the hope that is in him. And the final suggestion that Scandalin has in 2016 is that believers live a counter-cultural lifestyle. Live a lifestyle that is counter-cultural, right? And in one sense, this will get easier as culture drifts further and further from Christianity and from the positive Christian influence. Just stay where you are, right? <laughs> Hold fast to the word. Do what you are continuing to do. Don't follow the crowd, right? However, there, there's another sense in which living a, a counter-cultural lifestyle will become much harder and harder as the culture drifts further and further away from the truths of God's word. As the culture drifts and shifts, the, the pressure to change along with it will become greater and greater. And sometimes the pressure comes slowly, almost imperceptibly, a change over a generation, right? Uh, some examples... Um, of this might be found in, in the shows that we stream, the music, the music videos that we watch. What, a, what would have been scandalous a generation ago is, is commonplace and uh, maybe even tame by today's standards, right? But some changes come a lot quicker, like a Supreme Court ruling that legalizes same-sex marriages overnight. And Christians are left wondering, where did that come from? But the pressure to change your beliefs and your thoughts and your attitude, conforming them to the cultural norms, is becoming greater and greater. 
Therefore, we as Christians need to be sure of what we believe. And as Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, we always need to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. This doesn't mean that you have to have all the right answers to all of their difficult questions. But what it means is that you need to be ready to point them to Jesus and why he's important to you. You should be ready to tell them of his death for your sins and the significance of that. So how do we live out our Christian faith in the post-Christian society of 2021 and beyond? Recognize that this is not going away on its own and it may get worse before it gets better. But as we wait for the Lord, we ought to pray for and seek after the welfare, the good of the communities that he has placed us in. We should get used to the fact that we are a minority and that persecution will come when we take a stand for the Lord. We need to be willing to take that stand for the Lord as we seek to live the life that he has called us to, a life that is oftentimes counter what the culture would have, what society tells you it should be. All right, we've spent, we spent a lot of time with the bad news, haven't we? <laughs> Sometimes God tells you things that you do not want to hear and those bad things last a long time. Uh, but there is some good news that the Lord did share with his people. In verses 10 through uh, 14, he says that despite the circumstances, his plans and his promises will continue to stand. Now look at these verses here, Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. There are a couple of things we should pay close attention to in these verses, and again, we're going to go through this section kind of quick, not really giving it the attention that it deserves. Uh, but first, <laughs> Only God knows his plans. Only God knows his plans, right? And here's where the graduation verse comes from. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Only God, only the Lord knows what he had in store for his people who have been carried off into exile. And thankfully, he graciously revealed them to his prophets, to Jeremiah. And now we have them recorded in his word. Part of the Lord's plan was putting a limit on the scope and the duration of the Babylonian Empire. Did you catch that? In verse 10, he says, When 70 years are complete for Babylon, then there would be some grace and, and some relief for the exiles. <laughs> but you remember the bad news? This wasn't going away soon. Uh, this promise of the Lord was fulfilled in around 539 B.C., and very specifically, actually, on October 11th of that year. Uh, we have archaeological evidence outside of the Bible to verify this. On October 11th, 539 B.C., the, Medo, 
Median, Median Persian army defeated Babylon. And a few years later, Cyrus, the king of Persia, sent the exiles home. All of this would have been around roughly 70 years after Babylon became a world power. <laughs> kind of cool, isn't it? The Lord knows his plans. It all goes to show that the Lord is in control of all of this. He was in control of the exiles. He was in control of Babylon. He was in control of the army of the Medes and the Persians. He's in control of the United States and whatever other foreign power you want to name. He's in control of COVID and the fires going on in Canada. He's in control of the drought. The Lord, not man, the Lord is sovereign and he is in control. He knows his plans. And the next thing we should pay attention to in these verses is the reality that God's plans are promises of blessing. Promises of blessing. The Lord doesn't delight in being mean to you and watching you suffer, watching his children suffer. His plans for Israel were plans of blessing. He wanted to return his people to their homes at the end of their exile. The Lord said, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, plans for welfare, not for evil, plans to give you a hope and a future. While the exile was a consequence for Israel and Judah's sin and continual rebellion against the Lord God, their exile was not going to be the, be the end of them. The Lord wasn't done with his people yet. They were still his plan to bring about the Messiah, the Savior, who would be Israel's future hope. The Lord had plans of blessing. And then finally, in these verses of Jeremiah 29, uh, we notice that the Lord's plans are gracious and personal. Let me read these again, verses 12 uh, through the first part of verse 14. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And although these words were addressed to an entire nation, they are intensely personal. Each Israelite, and by extension, each one of us, are being invited by the Lord to seek him, search for him, look for him, get to know him, find him in his word. This is where he has promised to meet us. And his promise is that when we seek him, he will be found by us. And I think I've shared this story uh, before, so, so please forgive me, but it's cute and it kind of gets the point across. <laughs> uh, last winter, when it was bitterly cold, uh, remember those days when it was cold? Uh, <laughs> we played a lot of hide and seek in the Tonneson house, right? And uh, William, who was three then, would take his turn to hide and he would go off and hide. And, you know, I get to that point when I'd say, Ready or not, here I come. And then I'd say something like, where is my William? And without fail, he'd pop up from wherever he was hiding, right, and say, here I am, Daddy. <laughs> it's not very hard to, to seek somebody who's not hiding, is it? <laughs> this is what our Heavenly Father does, right? <laughs> where is our Heavenly Father? And, and he says to us, here I am. Seek me. You will find me. I will be found by you. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the promises of your word that when we seek you, we can find you, Lord, that you're not a God who is hidden or far off, that we don't have to climb the highest mountains or do extraordinary things, but you are found by us. Lord, we pray that you would 
Help us as we seek to live out our faith in, in the post-Christian society that we're living in. Lord, we pray for your grace and your strength in our daily lives as we uh, seek to live how you would call us to live. Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness to share with our friends, with our neighbors, the message that you have for us. We pray that you would lead us and guide us through every step. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.